Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I truly tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. The church of my growing up, the church where Melissa and I met, when I was through my teen years, at least through college, continued to have Sunday night church. Uh, At 4 o'clock, we would have RAs and GAs and training union, and anybody younger than me has no idea what I just said. (laughs) And then at 5 o'clock, we would have worship. Uh, Even then, there wasn't a big group of us gathered at 5 o'clock, and there was no uh, church bulletin. There was no order of service. Instead, when it came time for a hymn, somebody would just throw up their, Bill, let's sing Uh, standing on the promises. We'd sing standing. The sermon was usually uh, something that was sketched out on the back of a three-by-five card after the Sunday nap. But still, it was a meaningful time for the church. Uh, It it was a a great time to kind of get knitted together. Uh, After the benediction, we'd all take off to, to... Varsity Junior on Lindbergh and sit around and chat with each other. But but there was a tradition then that predates uh, my time with the church. I don't know how it started, but the end of Sunday night service always ended the same way. As we would be finishing the last verse of the last hymn that somebody had yelled out, we'd close our hymnals and start forming a circle around the, the church and we'd grab hands. And as soon as Joy, yes, our pianist's name was Joy, and our minister of music was named Bill. I mean, that's no lie. 
As soon as Joy would finish the last hymn, she would go into Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And we'd hold hands and look across the circle at one another and sing the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And it was warm and sweet. And in my teen years, it was kind of a centering safety for me too. But I later came to realize that the song we were singing was really more hope than reality. That some in that small circle were trying to run off the preacher. Some in that small circle, well, one guy owed another guy a bunch of money. They hadn't spoken to each other in years. There were two women in that circle who absolutely despised each other, and to this day, I don't know what that's about. What any longtime church member knows, and what the author of, God, of the Gospel of Matthew knows, is that Christian community is hard. For four weeks, we're looking at our four core values that, that the church endorsed last October as the guiding values for our life together. Last week, we talked about worship, the most central of those values, the one that all the others emerge from. And today, we're looking at our commitment to community. And we're not going to romanticize community and pretend that it exists primarily of people holding hands and singing together. Because as I said, our, our reading from the gospel is just straight up about it. Community is hard work. Chelsea read a little while ago from Matthew's gospel, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you alone Jesus assumes that those of us doing church together are going to step on each other every now and then. Years ago, Scott Peck wrote a book about the stages of community development. The first stage, he says, is pseudo-community. That is, when we all just kind of fake it pleasant, avoid any disagreement. How was your weekend? The second stage, he said, is chaos. It, chaos is the clash that happens when we realize that we have real differences and, and when we try to convert and convince or fix or solve. We're, we're very much aware of the differences and so we just keep swatting at each other about it. The, the parts that separate us, us and them, and I'm right and you're wrong and probably evil. The next stage, he said, is emptiness. I've tried to convert and convince. He's never going to change. She's never going to learn. That's how those people are. I don't need them anyway. Empty. 
But Peck says if we stay at it, if we keep on, we might get to real community. And community happens only when we give up convincing and forcing and converting and berating and allow other people into our lives who are not like us and will never be like us. And we keep laughing and loving and stumbling and infuriating and hurting and forgiving. And out of that, something strong and beautiful gets born. Listen to Dr. Peck's description of community when it happens and see if this doesn't sound a little bit like what we hope in church. But what repeatedly draws me into community is something more than joy. When I am with a group of human beings committed to hanging in there, both through both the agony and the joy of community, I have a dim sense that I am participating in a phenomenon for which there is only one word. I almost hesitate to use it. The word is glory. If another member sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If that member listens, you have regained. If the relationship isn't repaired, take somebody else in the church with you. Just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. Keep at it. I will be with you because the word for genuine community on the other side of keeping at it is glory. Well, then... Then Peter asks Jesus the honest question that follows this human problem. Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive them? Seven, as many as seven times? I mean, come on. See, this is why true community so seldom happens anywhere. First, most people just aren't willing to do the hard work to move past the chaos and the emptiness. If we encounter people who aren't like us, just move on. There's a gated community somewhere with people who look just like you. There's a church somewhere full of people who vote just like you. Just keep moving. Community's hard. Just drag up, go somewhere else, find somebody else you like a little more. But secondly, why would we continue to put up with people who do us wrong? So the prevailing sense is, write them off. Cross me, you'll have another thing coming. For most people, the answer to the question, how many times should I forgive somebody who has done me wrong? The answer is zero. Be done with them. Other fish in the sea, that's just the way she is. He's never going to change. 
But have you noticed that in the Jesus way, the wrongdoer gets all the breaks? Apparently, they get to dump all over me, and it's my job to keep forgiving. Who does this? But in the Jesus way, (laughs) the burden falls on me to forgive and restore. Well, what happened to getting even? The Jesus way is upside down from what I want to do. All this about restoring the person who's done the harm, they did wrong. What about me? What about my rights? I told you, community's hard. And you know what some people do to keep from having to get engaged in the messiness of community? Some people avoid getting hurt or being wronged by just never letting themselves be known or vulnerable. I mean, besides, the people who are closest to us are the only ones who can really hurt us. So some people would just rather sit in the back, arms folded, arms distance from anybody else in the church. That way, you won't disappoint me and I won't disappoint you. And now in a social media age, I can keep my brokenness hidden far behind my profile picture because I'm not sure I trust you. Don't want to be vulnerable. You do hurt me and I'll get even. You do disagree with me, I'll write you off. Paul Simon sings, A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Only he sings those lyrics sadly. Because living in loneliness is a painful way to live. Isolation from community is not the abundant life of the gospel promise. And moving on to find a more suitable spouse, a better group of friends, a more perfect church, packing up the suitcase at every hurt or heartbreak in search of a better group of people until we just keep looking and keep looking and keep retreating and keep retreating till we find ourselves all alone in a corner, not hurt, but also not loved. Community is a two-way street. It involves allowing people to be peculiar and ornery without having to change them. It means accepting people on the far right, on the far left. It means loving beyond labels and categories. But... It also means risking something of our true selves because community doesn't happen if we just offer up our persona, our public self, our Sunday best, 
Community happens when we slowly and appropriately self-disclose, reveal more and more of our authentic self, and when we do, we feel safe and we feel loved. And this is where joy lives. There's no way around it. Community formation is messy. It involves the hard work of risking more of ourselves. It involves the hard work of loving past our differences and staying with it. This language has already been used today. We sometimes in here talk about the church family. She's a part of my church family. Well, maybe that language does work. Because healthy family is the place where you are most known, where you are most hurt, where you disappoint others the most, and where you're still the most committed to sticking it out. One caveat here, and Jesus mentions this at the end of that reading from Matthew there comes a time you might just have to walk away. There are people so toxic, so damaging to the health of a family or a community that parting ways is the right and healthy thing to do. There are dangerous exceptions to the rule. But Jesus is giving guidelines for us regular messed up people about how to find a haven and a community among other regular messed up people. So Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus says, not seven times. But I tell you 77 times. Second Ponce is a perfectly imperfect group of people saved by the gift of God's grace. We disagree. We step on each other. We argue about where and how to allocate our missions money. We vote for different candidates, and we keep trying, and we keep trying, and we keep trying, because this is kingdom practice. The great banquet table is going to be filled with people who don't look like us, and there are going to be a few people sitting around that table we're really surprised to see. Church community is where we practice treating each other like hurting messes who are also made in the very image of God. Where we practice loving and forgiving the Jesus way. And on the other end of that is where joy lives. 
I'm going to tell a story, but I'm going to edit the story a little bit because, well, this has got to air on daytime TV, so I can't tell it exactly as he said it. My friend John was telling me about what he wanted from church, and he was a little bit miffed when he said it. He said, I don't want or need any more buddies. I've got plenty of buddies. I go out in the yard and get my paper in the morning and wave to my next door neighbor and they're buddies of mine. I've got buddies at work. I have buddies at my country club. I've got buddies at my kids' ball games. I have enough buddies, he said, to last a lifetime. I do not need from my church to gather up another group of buddies. And here comes the edited part. At church, he said, I need to find a group of people who actually give a Tweedledum. He was telling me that his soul aches for real community. That he needs a place to be known and loved anyway. He needs a place that will hold his hurt and give him his turn at holding the hurt of somebody else. That he needs a place that will buy balloons and celebrate the birth of his child. That he needs a place that will actively invite others in because the community gets richer as it adds more perspectives and more stories into the fold. That he needs a place where he can safely grow into the person God has created him to be, knowing that that group of people will forgive him 77 times if need be as he makes that journey. If we say that community is a core value around this place, and we're saying we're committed to doing the hard and messy work that goes with it, because only then does it end in joy. Or as Scott Peck said, in glory. And if you need a place like that, if you need a place that's trying and stumbling, working on being part, being this kind of community together, then join us. We're going to welcome you. And we're going to be better and stronger when your story and life joins ours. And we will walk this road together and not alone, no matter how messy it gets which is why we still can stand and sing blessed be the tie that binds as a hymn of hope because God is the one trying to knit us together as a people. So let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. 
If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.